Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Place your money line prop or parlay bets with the king of sports books today sign up using code buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet bet mgm and GameSense remind you to play responsibly 21 plus and present in ohio subject to eligibility requirements rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days gambling problem call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with mgm northfield park This program is paid for by Jacob Media Partners. All opinions or statements expressed on this program are solely those of Jacob Media or its guests and do not reflect the views of WPHT or Odyssey. Today's program is pre-recorded. This is Women to Watch. I don't think you can truly change for the better in a lasting, meaningful way unless it is driven by self-acceptance. Women to Watch, sharing the real stories of the most accomplished women in the world. To rise above all of the noise and fulfill every last one of your dreams. Be inspired by women from across the globe. True philanthropy comes from living from the heart of yourself and giving what you have been given. Who are encouraging more women to pursue their dreams? What I know to be true is that women were always meant to lead. And by shining a light on those doing it well today, my hope is that more women will find their own voice. Now, here's the owner, founder, and host of Women to Watch, Sue Rocco. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to another week of Women to Watch. I'm Sue Rocco, and it's so great to be here on 6abc.com, bringing you stories of women who are leaders in their industries every week. If you'd like to learn more about the show and um, read a little bit more about our corporate partners who are a part of our watch team, feel free to go to womentowatch.net. That's women, the number two, watch.net, N-E-T. And if you're a radio lover, we also are broadcasting on Sunday nights on Talk Radio 1210 WPHT. So I'm very thrilled and honored to welcome to the show today, Dr. Margot Weissar. Dr. Weissar has her own dermatology practice in Springhouse. Uh, Margot, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me. It's great to have you finally. We've been talking about this for a long time and finally connected. So I'm thrilled to have you. Um, I have to tell you, I've been doing this for 10 years. You are the first guest I've ever had that is a doctor slash actress. <laughs> Very unique. Yeah. Very- yes, I, it's been a it's been a serious hobby. I would say my entire life. Yeah, so, I love um, that. Well, we'll be talking more about that. And actually, you know, to talk about your upbringing and a little bit about your family background. Um, says why you have that interest, I would say, both Absolutely. in science and creativity and theater. So tell me, first of all, your dad was a fine artist. Tell me about him and, and how much he did in uh, in his art world. Sure. So um, I come from a family of artists. My dad was um, uh, was a fine artist. He went to Cooper Union, um, which is a, a school that you go to, you know, you have to be admitted because of your talent and then you, you know, the, the tuition is paid for. And then he went to Yale School of Art and Yale School of Drama, where he got an MFA in scenic design. So it was applied to the theater. And um, so I grew up around theater, you know, from a very young age. Um, and also the fact that uh he he could draw beautifully. He was into the arts. Um, my mother was also in art history. So, you know, suffice it to say, we spent a lot of time going to museums, going to appreciate art. And um, although I have some artistic talent in drawing, um, I think what really uh, impressed me is the ability to see shape and form and color um, is something that I've had with me my whole life. So how far back do you remember also having an interest in science? 
Did that, you know, so, so I am, I am the outlier in my family on science. I always loved science. Um, I think I remember being in sleepaway camp. That's what we called it in New York here in Philly. It's <laughs> uh, overnight camp and uh, being fascinated with astronomy and going out and looking at the stars. And then I became fascinated in biology when I was um, in school. And then I became really, really interested in physics and um, took several years of physics in high school. And I just love the idea of the, you know, learning how the world worked, learning, understanding the science behind um, just, you know, everyday occurrences. And it's really interesting to me because in my career now, um, I am surrounded by lasers, which are all based on physics. So I can go, you know, crazily into becoming a science nerd when I'm talking to patients about how they work. But the fact that I get to use them every day, you know, um, in my current work is really, you know, it's really incredible. Do you think you have, you know, we talk on the show often about the right brain versus the left brain. And that really is about language, creativity, words versus the other, which is the science and the numbers and the math. Would you say you're gifted in both that has allowed you to, to do it? I, I, I think that I am very analytical, but um, I do think that there is a a right brain for science as well, where you can kind of see the big picture rather than somebody who, you know, can break down problems into tiny, small amounts. I think it's actually what makes me um, very good at diagnostics, you know, when I when I'm seeing a patient because right. I can kind of integrate the picture, which is a sort of a right brain function but it has a left brain basis. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's really interesting. I, ha- um, I have a quote here. You said, I was fascinated by the ability to diagnose the patient as a whole by seeing what was on their skin. Yes. And, you know, I don't think people truly understand that the skin is the largest organ that we have and there's not enough attention paid to it in, in with regard to our health. Talk about that so- a little bit. Absolutely. So it was one of the reasons that attracted me to dermatology. So I was a a medical student at University of Pennsylvania and I was on rounds. That's what they call when groups of doctors go to see different patients in the hospital. And I was on the dermatology service as a student. And we went to see a patient that had been seen by many other doctors in the hospital and no one knew what was going on with this patient. And he had a very, I won't describe it because it might be too much for uh, (laughs) the general audience, but let's just say he had a very, very um, uh, obvious uh, rash covering his body. And the doctor that was leading the team walked into the room and took one look at the patient and made a diagnosis and he was correct. And all these other doctors had seen the patient, but they didn't know how to interpret the picture of what this patient had on their skin. And I thought Mm. that is the coolest thing ever that he walked in there, he took one look and because he knew the pattern and what to look for and all these sort of subtle findings, he was able to make the diagnosis where other people couldn't. And one of the things that you learn as a dermatologist is that you have to be able to see because many of my colleagues in medicine, you know, a rash is a rash. It's red, it's bumpy or whatever. But to a dermatologist, it's salmon colored or it's violet or it's, you know, pink or, you know, you have to be able to see those gradations when you look at a patient in order to do the job. Wow. Just like an orthopedist has to know like mechanics and, you know, kind of carpentry, if you will, or an eye doctor is like a watchmaker, you know, with the teeny tiny structures. Dermatology is all about seeing color and pattern and shape and then relating that to the underlying, you know, physiology of what's happening. Right. Talk to me a little bit about your younger years as a young girl growing up in school. um, You know, the People would say girls don't typically go into science and, you know, they're it's underrepresented. Did were you fully confident in yourself that this was my interest? This is the direction I'm going. Um, And if so, how did you how did you do that? Well, 
As far as being in school and being in science, yes, I was fully confident because I was just very good at it and I got good feedback and I luckily had teachers who served as mentors and, you know, I didn't really realize there was a difference. In fact, um, I had uh, another student in my class who um, would always score extremely highly on all the science tests. So my goal all the time was to beat him. <laughs> And I did. I like that. <laughs> I love that. So, and and I have to say that 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 uh, that colleague of mine is now a dermatologist. So I think that's very ironic. Um, <laughs> but um, I when I went to college, um, I did not know I was going to go into medicine. So um, I was uh, very open to other other fields of study and history and humanities and um I ended up finding my way into medicine because I became a psychology major and I was actually doing studies on right left brain, which is funny that you kind of brought that up. <laughs> and after kind of getting deeper and deeper into that, the science of thought, the science of cognition, that I decided that having a medical degree was going to uh, enable me to go, uh, you know, in in that direction um, mm -hmm. when I finally graduated. Um, it wasn't until I got to medical school that I knew anything about dermatology. I never considered it. Um, and there was another student that was a few years older than I, um, who was going into dermatology. And she said, you know, I'd really seriously suggest taking an elective in this. It's a great field. Um, and I did, and I just got sucked in. I'm like, this is, this combines so many of the things that I love and also uses my strengths um, in somebody who has a visual um, visual art kind of um, brain and background to bring to medicine. And then the more I got into dermatology, the more I realized what an all-encompassing field that can be because mm. you can be in skin cancer, you can be in um, immunology, you can do procedurals, you know, surgical things, you can do what I do a lot of right now, which is cosmetic dermatology, but I have kind of done all those different things over my career. So it's very broad. It is, it is. I think about your, your, you have significant education. You went to Yale, you went to University of Penn, you went to Tufts, um, you did a second residency at Wheel Cornell. Um, what was the most challenging for you in school? Oh, I mean, the probably the most physically challenging was the fact that I did an entire internal medicine residency. So that meant uh, that was my time at Tufts. So when I finished um, my medical school, I actually first went into internal medicine. And so we were taking care of the sickest patients in the hospital and we were there every third night, all night long. Um, so that was a very challenging couple of years. Um, but what it did do for me later on was gave me a grounding again in the whole patient in in understanding, you know, not just not just what a dermatologist knows, but everything an internist knows as well. I am board certified in in internal medicine as well. Um, so um, it was it was very hard years, but I think it gave me a foundation that I couldn't have gotten anywhere else. And, and you must enjoy schooling because during COVID, you decided to go to graduate school. Why not? Let's I did. So, um, so my love of theater my whole life, um, and I've done uh, acting, I've done directing, I've gotten to the point of being an understudy in some professional theaters. Uh, that's kind of, kind of the highest level I've achieved, if you will. And then when COVID came along and everything stopped, um, I was about to direct a play. Um, and of course, that that got um, pushed out another year and a half. I eventually did get to do it. But I decided what, would, what, what I want to do with this enforced time that we had. <laughs> so I, I applied to theater graduate school at Villanova and was accepted. And so I've been going to school now for two years. And interestingly, um, sort of combined uh, my two lives. Uh, last semester, I took a 
course in playwriting and I wrote a play based on the life of Elizabeth Blackwell who is the first woman to graduate from medical school in the United wow. States. Wow. Oh, I love that. That's awesome. So uh, we'll see where that goes. It's still in its infancy. Um, but I learned a lot about this woman and she was a badass. Wow. <laughs> so that's, a, you know, often we'll, we'll talk about, you know, what do you do to decompress when you're not working in your professional career? And what a beautiful outlet for you, right, to be doing that and, and really kind of taking your mind to another place. We're going to go into our first break. When we come back, I want to talk a little bit uh, about you as a mother and uh, okay. a little bit more of the science. Absolutely. Stay with us for our watch team if you're listening on radio, and we'll be right back. Now the women to watch. Finance Watch. Finance Watch. At Penn Community Bank, we're committed to giving small business owners the tools and resources to help them succeed financially. Small business doesn't necessarily go hand in hand with small risk, especially when it comes to cybersecurity. As a small business owner, you have a full plate and cybersecurity may not be on your radar. It may seem unnecessary for you and your business, but taking initiative in cybersecurity is one of the most important things you can do for the safety and security of your business, your employees, and even your customers. Here's steps you can take right now to protect your business. Back everything up. Never store anything in one place or on a single device. It'd be a treasure chest for the pirates of the web. Whether it's an external hard drive or an online cloud storage, Make sure the location is secure or with a reputable organization. You've heard this one before. Use strong passwords for everything. Having a strong password on every device with sensitive information is essentially the very first line of defense from hackers. Your password can never be too strong or change too often. Sending out quarterly reminders to staff to update passwords is a small step you can take to make a big difference. On that note, train your employees. Employees are often the first target for scammers. So ensure your employees maintain best practices and know what's at stake. Sending out phishing test emails can give insight on employees who may need additional training on spotting a scammer or malicious material. Don't be hesitant to buy antivirus software to protect against viruses, malware, or spyware. It could be an invaluable investment for your business. Lastly, make sure third parties you deal with are as safe and secure as you. Any person or business that has access to your system can be considered a threat. Make sure the vendors you work with have the best practices in place to prevent cybercrime and don't be afraid to inquire or encourage them to do so. Remember, small business can mean big target for cybercriminals. They know that your business may not have the resources to spend on security that a larger corporation would. Data hacking and cybercrimes are becoming more common and advanced in the modern world. So make sure your small business is following best practices to minimize your vulnerability. It only takes one weak link to attack an entire company. So don't let a simple mistake jeopardize everything you work for. Penn Community Bank, here we are and here we grow. Hey everybody, this is Dr. Jen Welker and you are listening to Sports Watch. Losing is a part of life and it is hard for all of us to get over it, right? Like nobody wants to say, you know what, I'm going to go in this today and I'm going to take the L, right? Like, I am going to not give my best effort and I really hope that I lose, right? Nobody does that. And there's a reason why, because we want to, we, we are taught, we are trained to go for the gold, to win, to be that person who sets the example. And yet when we talk about mental toughness, mental toughness is actually the ability to be present, to focus on what's in your control and to move on to the next decision, not focusing on the past. How many plays as an athlete, for example, do you lose to a bad play or a bad call, right? We're all going to have, we're, we're going to miss tackle, for example, right? Like I'm a linebacker. I'm supposed to tackle people. There are going to be times when I miss that tackle. However, do I miss the next three plays because I missed that tackle or do I come back and make the next play? So it's about focus forward, focus present, and what do I need to do right now in this play on this day to win? And that may have been, you know, uh, a result of not winning the last day. If we're so focused in the past, it's really hard to be present, right? You can't do both. We cannot live in our rear view mirror. So what did you take from what took you down 
And how are you going to take that into the next play that you make so that your likelihood of a win is a lot greater because you took an L? Follow me and all my adventures, or you could say misadventures, on Welter47 on Instagram or at jwelter47 on Twitter. This is Women to Watch with Sue Rocco. Talk Radio 1210 WPHT. Hi, and welcome back to the show. I'm Sue Rocco, and you're watching Women to Watch. And I'm joined this week by, uh, with, I should say, Dr. Margot Weissar. And she's the founder of Springhouse Dermatology, a very, very successful uh, dermatology practice. Um, You're also an award-winning dermatologist. Um, before I get into, I w- I've always want to talk about motherhood. If if it's another role you play outside of being a doctor, and um, but tell me what it means to you when you're recognized for your work, the awards and, and accolades. How does how does that make you feel? Um, it is certainly lovely, um, especially coming from a local uh, paper because that is something that my patients will see and it is a great way that patients do get introduced to the practice. Um, I feel like I do get recognized on a daily basis by individually, but certainly it's nice to hear that publicly as well. Yeah, your patients, right? They thank God for you every day. Yes. (laughs) So um, you're a mother. I believe you have three children. I do. Okay. So t- tell me a little bit about them. And I, I want to ask you what, you know, when we think about the world we sit and live in today, post-COVID, and um, there's just a lot of unrest. What worries you the most when you think about their future? So my children are all young adults. Um, I have a son and I have twin, identical twin daughters. Wow. And so they're all out in the world uh, as working people now and in different fields. None of them pursued medicine, which is fine. Um, any creatives? But, Are any of them creative, like grandparents? Yes, my, my, my daughter is a photographer. Yes. Oh, okay. And so she and my other daughter is actually a musician as well as um, a software engineer. So they, wow. they definitely got the talent. Right. Um, so I think that it's they graduated into a recession. And then, you know, just as their generation was kind of getting started with their careers, COVID happened. And although, um, most of them worked from home throughout COVID. You know, I just worry that this generation has had a lot of um, a lot of uh, uh, difficulties to deal with, just getting out of the gate, if you will. Yes, and yes. Um, even though you know they they all had good jobs and work during COVID, the, the sort of lack of community and being at home for you know over a year. Um, I think it's really hard on on young people. So, um, you know, I know every generation has its challenges, but um, I feel like they've got caught a bit and hopefully they'll, you know, things will ease up for, for, for that, that group going forward. Um, We talk about, you know, sometimes the young children, I think, end up being more resilient. You know, the little ones were, not able to go to school and everyone was concerned about them, but I think that they adapt easier than perhaps mm-hmm. teenagers and adults that all of a sudden the world has changed. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, certainly it's been challenging for everybody at every level. Um, okay. But as far as, you know, their cohort of, of um, friends and, you know, people their age, I just think that that's a very social age and, you know, they've been, artificially put into their own little bunkers and they're just starting to come out. (laughs) Yeah. So let's talk a little bit about your practice and what is new and exciting. You had mentioned laser um, in the first segment and, um, you know, I put out a a post to our viewers and, you know, what kind of questions would you want to ask a successful dermatologist? Um, One of the things that comes up over and over again, especially for women who are in our second half is uh, biotin versus collagen versus does it work? Do you do both? What can you tell us about that and whether we should even be, you know, wasting our money in, in all of that? 
So I don't think that there's enough evidence, scientific evidence to support going all in on um, collagen supplementation and or biotin supplementation. Biotin certainly has been around longer than the kind of edible collagen craze that we've had. The evidence is very minimal. So, you know, there are so many other ways that I would say that, you know, if you are somebody who wants to promote good skin health and maintain the health of your skin to put your energies into that, that, that have a much higher payoff. Um, so, you know, time and money and all of that much better spent on getting a great sunscreen that you will use every single day of your life, because we know that ultraviolet breaks down your DNA that causes skin cancer. Actually, just a little aside, I was with a group of women this weekend and uh, we were kind of just chatting about things. And I was the only one in this group that hadn't had multiple skin cancers already. So I was wow. like, oh. <laughs> when you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Why is that? So, you know, the truth is like, even if you don't do it for skin cancer prevention, even if it's just about vanity, you know, wearing a good sunscreen every day is going to preserve your skin. It's going to preserve it in health and wellness. And so I'd much prefer people put their efforts into finding something, you know, that that they can use um, rather than worrying about ingesting collagen. Um, I'm sorry. Go ahead. No, no, go ahead. Well, I'm just thinking whenever I think of sunscreen, I think, especially as an Irish girl, <laughs> very fair. And the fact that growing up, it, we did not have the full knowledge of how dangerous it was. We were truly out in the sun without the sunscreen and the protection. And how much of the damage is done versus it's never too late to protect. It's never, it's, it's never too late. Never, never, never too late. But, you know having risk factors, having fair skin, having had burns, all of that means that you need to be more vigilant now, because even if you, you know, have a perfect record from here on, it's not going to prevent you from showing up with something because we know that it takes many, many, many years for these skin cancers to form or precancers to form. So even if you, you know, you decide at some point in your life, you're really going to be really good about your sun protection. If you have risk factors, we still need to keep a good, um, you know, uh, 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 um, surveillance of your skin. But there are things that we can do that can help reverse sun damage. There are topical things that can help. There are procedures that we can do in the office that can help reverse sun damage. So, you know, it's not irrevocable. I mean, some of it may be, but you can certainly mm -hmm. improve the situation if that's something you want to do. You know, it makes me think about the the balance. So you do a lot of um, cosmetic and we, of course we want to look our best. And how do you find the balance between um, using what's available in order to present ourselves, the, you know, the best way we can and not feeling a little shallow that we're doing things that are so physical. Well, so a couple of things I want to say about that. Um, I think the attitudes have definitely evolved quite a bit over the course of my career. I don't think there's anybody on earth who doesn't want to look a little more beautiful. Right. You know, we all do. I mean, I'm never going to be a supermodel, but if somebody says I could do this and feel a little bit more beautiful, that's fine. You know, in our society, 
we do, you know, our health, how our happiness, our perception of each other can also change when people look a little bit more rested, a little happier. Um, you know, we can tell the human brain is programmed for, you know, picking those little subtle things up. Um, example, I was at a conference, uh, where we were learning advanced techniques and, um, they flashed on the screen a face and they just asked, is this a beautiful face? And, you know, it was, it was like a model. So, you know, everybody raised their hand and then they said, this was flashed on the screen for one one thousandth of a second. So that's how fast your brain can process beauty. So, you know, I think it's something that is innate in how we perceive each other. And so I feel like if you have the right expectations, you're not going to, you know, I never want to transform somebody into something that they're not. Mm -hmm. But if you take and you look at what age has taken away from somebody and you say, I can bring that back or partially bring that back for you in a safe and effective procedure, you know, I'll sign me up. <laughs> I'll do that. I mean, I want to preserve my looks as long as I can without doing anything crazy. Right. Um, and yeah, okay, there are people that cross the line. We've seen them. We've read about them. You've seen celebrities mm. that certainly do way too much. And, you know, we do try and filter out people who have unrealistic expectations or are really trying to do things that would alter their appearance substantially. So, I mean, that's part of my consultation process and getting to know people, making sure that what I can provide for them aligns with what they're looking for and what they're looking for aligns with my values as well. Right. Yes. So. And so often it's about matching what, what we feel inside with the exterior, because I think no matter how old we become, we still feel young inside. That's a Absolutely. psychology <laughs> you know, um, statement, don't you think? Absolutely. And I see it, the confidence that it gives people. And I know that's a real thing. You know, people look in the mirror and they're like, oh, wow, I, I look great. And you, you know that people who are confident are more likely, they've studied this, to interact with people, to be more social, to seek out social um, environments. Um, so that isn't, that's a real thing. That's not just being vain. That's feeling good about who you are and how you present yourself. I mean, just the way you'd pick out a beautiful blue blouse, you know, because it makes you feel good. It makes you look right. good. Yeah. What we wear, how we look, how we do our hair, what we choose for, you know, our accessories. That's, that's a statement that we're making about ourselves to the world and we're doing it all the time. Yeah. So if it helps people to feel more, uh, confident and more about the way they want to look, I think that is very gratifying. It's very gratifying work to do. Yeah. Just as we care about things around us to, to look us, you know, we're visual people and we take great care of our home and, you know, anything that's aesthetically beautiful, you know, you want it to be appealing to the eye. Um, I was curious to know how your practice has been post COVID has, have you seen an increase in, you know, everybody was kind of stuck at home for a long period of time and now they're out and about. Yeah. So um, for a while there, there was what they call the zoom boom <laughs> because um, I think somebody statistically said that when you're on zoom, like you spend 90% of the time looking at your own face. <laughs> so people, people are examining themselves in a way that, you know, we weren't when we were just going out and going to a meeting, you know, someone right. else was looking at us. Now we're staring at ourselves. So there was certainly a scrutiny. I mean, I, you know, I never used to hear this before. It's like, oh, I've been looking at my chin or my wrinkles or we got to do something about it. So there's certainly that aspect to it. Um, there is certainly, you know, as you know, we I, I've been doing this for almost 30 years. And I used to say, like, I could tell, like, I knew which weeks of the year was going to be a little slow when it was going to get busy. And like with COVID, you know. Everything has changed because it does ebb and flow when Omicron hit around the holidays, which is usually very busy. You know, we had a so we're kind of like riding this, you know, COVID wave up and down when people are 
back to going out again and doing things. And of course they want to come in and, you know, look their best. And when things shut down temporarily, you know, we see a little lull. So yeah. everything we're just like trying to. We're evolving. Yeah. We're evolving. Yeah. You know, um, running a practice is a lot of responsibility. It's also really stressful. Um, do you have a daily mantra, you know, the days when everything is, is flowing and wonderful, that's one thing. The days when, you know, you have things to worry about. What is your go-to mantra to, to move through those times? Ooh, I wish I had one. Maybe I do need one. <laughs> um, uh, luckily, there are more of the good days than the bad days. But, you know, certainly any business owner, you encounter those days. I, I guess I just try and focus on the work that I need to do because that is so engaging that even if I have something on my mind, something else is going wrong. When I have a patient sitting in front of me, I want to be a hundred percent focused on them. So in a way, any kind of procedure, I'm doing surgery, you know, they talk about flow. Yeah, um, you're right. so your work right. takes you out of your mind because then. Exactly. You're so, so if I focus on what I have to do, then I can just bring it home <laughs> and then get mad afterwards. <laughs> <laughs> well, listen, um, keep up the good work. You're making women very happy, but you're also saving lives, you know, diagnosing skin cancers, which seem to be on That's the line. a lot of what we do. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, and I thank you so much for taking time out of your day to share thank your you story. Thank me. Yeah, this is fun. so much fun. Great. <laughs> We're going to go into a break. When we come back, we're going to be with our Lifestyle Watch contributor, Sherry Morrison. Um, She's going to be with uh, a woman who owns a kombucha brewery in Phoenixville. We'll be right back. Now, the women to watch. Marketing Watch. Let's talk about the great resignation. Hi there. My name is Diana Barnes, or DB, as most people call me, and I'm the Chief Brand Officer and Creative Director at Munchkin the world's most loved baby lifestyle brand. Navigating your career during a global crisis is far from straightforward. Many of us, myself included, have taken stock of our lives, our jobs, and how we spend the time we have. We're always taking inventory of our decisions and making adjustments, but when monumental shifts occur, like a global pandemic, they can result in significant economic movements. Enter the great resignation, the big quit, as it's also known, isn't just an opportunity for workers to find more lucrative jobs that they can do from their living rooms. Instead, it's a chance for people to find careers in companies that fill their cups. At Munchkin, we strive to create a culture where monetary compensation is a slice of the pie, but not the whole thing. When employees feel good about their work, the causes their company supports, and the opportunities afforded to them, they tend to stick around. Workplace flexibility and compensation are motivation factors, but so are recognition, advancement, and education. Last year, Munchkin was named a great place to work certified company with 88% of our employees saying it's a great place to work. This accolade isn't a result of competitive salaries and flexible schedules alone. We strive to ensure that employees know they're valued, not just for the work they do, but for who they are. If you oversee a company struggling with employee retention, I urge you to tap into your brand's values and those of your team. In what ways can you bring more value to your employees' lives? How can you invest in them so they invest in you? Putting your employees at the forefront of your strategy will only benefit your company and improve the quality of talent you retain and attract. This program is paid for by Jacob Media Partners. Now, more of Women to Watch with Sue Rocco on Talk Radio 1210 WPHT. We're joined by our wonderful weekly Lifestyle Watch contributor, Sherry Morrison, and she's going to be profiling Olga Sorzano. I hope I'm pronouncing that right. The owner of Baba's Brew Kombucha. I knew I had to read it. I was going to fumble over it. <laughs> Welcome to the show, ladies. Thanks, Sue. Yes, as Sue said, Thank today you, I'm Sue. in Phoenixville, PA at Baba's Brew Kombucha with founder, CEO, brewmaster, and entrepreneur, Olga Sorzano. Thank you for inviting us to visit today, Olga. Thank you for coming over. That's such a pleasure and big honor. So to, uh, Olga has an incredible story. 
So I want to start off with uh, where you're from, Olga, and how you ended up here in the USA. Well, how long do you have? Um, so uh, <laughs> I was born in southern Siberia, Russia, and uh, um, I came to United States as exchange student in 2000, so 22 years ago. Okay. So now you're a doctor with a degree in veterinary medicine. You're a chef, a graduated of Walnut Hill College in Philadelphia. You were a very successful private chef. Uh, in 2013, you were the number one private chef in the Philadelphia surrounding area. You're married, have two young daughters, and now you have a lovely 8,000-square-foot kombucha factory in Phoenix, PA. When did you have this kombucha light bulb moment? <laughs> <laughs> Well, I grew up drinking kombucha. So Baba, um, it means grandmother in Russian. So, um, and uh, my great-grandmother, she been brewing kombucha all, all the time I remember her. So she would, you know, I would come to her and I would say, you know, Baba, my belly hurts. And she would say, have some kombucha. And I would say, my leg hurts. And she would say, have some kombucha. So it was just kind of remedy. So I used to drink the kombucha. And not only it was, you know, good food, which I had no idea when I was a child, but, you know, remember, I grew up in the Soviet Russia, so we didn't really have a Gatorade or Pepsi or other stuff to begin with. So it was just nice, something nice and uh, pleasant to drink. And Baba would throw some berries sometimes and herbs. And so it was just really wonderful. So when I came to United States, I was extremely pleased to find a bottle of kombucha. Um, unfortunately, when I took a sip, it wasn't just what I remembered. It's like I was telling Sherry, it's like, you know, your favorite grandma soup, you know, it's like, and then you go and try something like, eh, I don't think so. So I was just kind of craving for that, you know, flavor, that taste that I remember. So I was brewing it on and off by myself. I always had little scoby sitting, you know, in the jar. And then, um, seven years ago, um, my husband had his kind of midlife crisis and, you know, he kind of quit his job and uh, we started to think, you know, what we should do. And since I really haven't done anything but, you know, food related things. So I just kind of jokingly said, maybe we should brew kombucha after visiting fermentation festival in Santa Barbara, California. And so he said nothing. Like nothing. So, um, which is not surprising because, you know, I'm usually full of those glorious ideas on a daily basis. So, um, you know, uh, when we got home, um, several weeks later, he came up with a big folder and, and I'm like, what's that? And he's like, well, you want to start kombucha. That's a business plan. So, guy actually did the business plan and did, <laughs> did the market research and, you know, price analysis and everything else. And so, and that's how we kind of started. Um, so originally we started in um, 70 square feet and uh, I'm just still not very good with feet measurements. <laughs> so when I called them up and they said, well, we don't really have much. It's just 70 square feet. I'm like, that sounds great. Um, so we came <laughs> to check it out and I was like, wow, that sounds like it looks like a little smaller than my closet. Um, but it was a good start. You know, I'm glad <laughs> we were brewing you know, we started to brew our kombucha um, in five gallon jars um and then you know we just kind of started to sell our kombucha at the phoenixville farmers market first um and then kimberton whole foods um you know they picked up our brand and so little by little um you know a year later we were able to move to our current location it was a little bit too big for us um but you know we happily i was happily moved from 70 square feet to 8,000 square feet <laughs> um wow. Uh, you know, and then from brewing in five-gallon jars, we were brewing in 500-gallon jars. And then currently we brew in um, 2,000 liters stainless steel tanks. Wow. They're big, they're big tanks. And I'm very happy to be in this atmosphere, uh, having had a soup company, working at a winery, and um, being around all of these different uh, manufacturing plants that use the tanks. It's, it feels like home for me. So the nutritional value of kombucha is very impressive, uh, much better than soda. It has probiotics, live enzymes, antioxidants, vitamins, minerals. It's great for your gut and digestion. It's great for you overall, as Olga just mentioned. You know, just ask Baba. That's what she'll say. Go, go, go to the kombucha. So it's the elixir of life. 
And uh, SCOBY is an acronym for uh, symbiotic, I'm going to read this, symbiotic culture of bacteria and yeast. And it metabolizes mm -hmm. the sugar, which you need to create fermentation. Um, right. and wine, beer, sourdough bread, a lot of different products that people just aren't aware use this fermentation process. Um, so it's, but it's so much less in sugar um, and has so many other nutritional benefits to it. Uh, do you want to, so looking at the bottle and looking at your website, you know, you're, it's 100% raw, it's 100% vegan, it's 100% gluten-free, 100% um, fair trade, organic ingredients, all of these things which a lot of people don't know unless they're in manufacturing, to be able to say that on a bottle or a label, you need to get certification. You have to go through government paperwork and everything. It all costs a lot of money. So it's a right. lot to go through so people understand what your product really is and so that it's true. It's truth and label. So do you want to tell us a little bit about those stages you went through and the nutritional value of the soda? I'll show you. Or the kombucha. It's not soda. So here, <laughs> I'm not going to on screen. Here's a bottle. This is called Believe. Olga, tell us a little bit about the Believe because it's a Greek Philadelphia story. Well, this is not Believe. This is the blue pineapple. Oh, <laughs> picked up the wrong green bottle. I picked up the wrong green bottle. Yeah. Tell us about the Believe. It's a green one. Believe is a green one. So the Believe has a really cute story. Um, when we found out that Eagles were going to Super Bowl, and, um, you know, I looked around and everybody made something silly green, green bagels, green pancakes, green, you know, uh, cream cheese, you name it. So we decided we're going to just keep it up and we're going to make a silly green thing, too. Uh, so we made a green kombucha uh, and we call it Fly Eagles Fly, of course. Uh, and so we completely sold out and we just, you know, we were super happy and we were super happy for Eagles. And um Eagles didn't win, but it was a huge deal. And, uh, you know, people started to come back and say, you know what, um, you know, it's great, but we would love to, you know, keep seeing this. Like, you, you need to make this stuff. And so we kicked more, and we call it Believe. So we believe Eagles will do it again. Um, and so this is one of our, um, you know, best sellers. So besides the cute story, Believe is really fantastic because it has chlorophyll. And as you know, the chlorophyll is the pigment that gives green color to the plants. And this is what makes the membrane of any kind of cells, you know, really nice and strong. So it's just really, really great for your body as well. Um, and as Sherry said, you know, all our kombucha is very, very low in calories. It's about 35 calories and four to five grams of sugar per bottle. Um, and, uh, um, you know, our kombucha is raw. Um, uh, meaning that it has all the lives. We don't pasteurize our kombucha, so all those bacteria and probiotics and enzymes, they're all live, so you get you know full benefits, uh, just like you would get from non-pasteurized yogurt or other fermented products. Um, and, um, you know, and sometimes, like, when I post something saying, like, gluten-free, and then some people would say, duh, of course it's gluten-free, but then you get email, like, is your kombucha gluten-free? So, you know, there is uh, sometimes, you know, uh, yes, the people who know the process, they will understand, but... And I believe that, you know, gluten-free sometimes being overused. I mean, we know apples are gluten-free. Thank you. So I and hope you'll all join me next week when we meet Natanya DeBono, the woman behind the organization of Dinner en Blanc in Philadelphia. It's the largest dinner of its kind in the U.S. We, in Philadelphia, we usually have about uh, over 5,000 guests. So uh, it's taking place this year, August 18th. Tickets will go on sale July 6th. Uh, but thank you again, Olga. I really appreciate all of your time. Thank you, ladies. And keep dreaming your dreams. Sue, back to you. Thanks, Sherry. Olga, it's great to meet you. Great segment. Thank, We're you, gonna so go into thank you. We're going to go into our last break, and we'll be back. Now, the Women to Watch, Military Watch. Hi, I'm Carol Lager, Senior Vice President of Military Affairs at Comcast NBC Universal. At Comcast NBC Universal, we've celebrated this year's Pride Month by highlighting just how Pride is, in fact, universal, showcasing entertainment and news content that celebrates the solidarity and inclusiveness of the LGBTQ community. And this can be seen across all our platforms. What many people might not know, however, is that an Army veteran 
created the rainbow flag that symbolizes the LGBTQ plus pride across the world. Gilbert Baker was a Kansas native who served in the United States Army from 1970 to 1972. He was stationed as a medic in San Francisco. Baker decided to remain in San Francisco upon his honorable discharge and continue to live there as an openly gay man. This was in the early years of the gay rights movement, only a few years after the Stonewall riots. And at the time, there was no symbol to represent the LGBTQ plus community. One of the biggest champions of the need for a symbol at the time was Harvey Milk, the city supervisor of San Francisco and the first openly gay official in the U.S. Milk approached Baker with his desire for a symbol and Baker envisioned and designed the rainbow flag to represent the eight values held by the gay community. Pink stood for sexuality, red for life, orange for healing, yellow for sunlight, green for nature, turquoise for art, indigo for harmony, and violet for the human spirit. Today, the flag is recognized around the world, and although there have been many iterations of the flag since, remember it was a soldier who brought the idea of the rainbow flag to life. That's it, everyone, for another week of Women to Watch. Thanks so much for being here, and stay tuned next week for my interview with Prachi Modi. Prachi is the CEO of Maraca 3 Ventures. Thanks always to our corporate partners and watch team for helping us to bring you the show each week, and have a great week. Sirocco, a Jacob Media production. If you're interested in learning more about the power of the radio hour, contact Joe Kraus at 267-261-3428. This program is paid for by Jacob Media Partners. All opinions or statements expressed on this program are solely those of Jacob Media or its guests and do not reflect the views of WPHT or Odyssey. Today's program is pre-recorded. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Save big on your Memorial Day barbecue, all in the Kroger app. Get three-pound rolls of juicy 80% lean ground beef for $3.49 a pound with a digital coupon. Then get select varieties of flavorful Powerade, Body Armor Super Drink, or Arizona Tea for 77 cents each, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details.